name is, uh, is David. I'm the lead pastor here at the church and it's so great to have you here this morning as we begin this new series together called Table Conversations. So much of Jesus' ministry was based around one significant place which was the table. Now often we consider the who, the what and the when and yet very often we don't stop to think about the, uh, the where and throughout this series we're going to be summing, uh, seeing the significance of Jesus' ministry as he used uh, significant moments of community, sharing meals together with other people, and he used uh, having meals with people as both the place and the teaching tool to tell people more about the kingdom of God. Having meals with people and gathering with them is one of the most unrecognised and sometimes unspoken aspects of Jesus' ministry, and yet throughout many of the Gospels, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, what we see in Jesus is he's either coming to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's leaving a meal. And Jesus used these meals to teach people powerfully about the kingdom of God. It was both the place and the teaching tool. Now, this became so prominent in Jesus' ministry that Jesus actually developed a reputation as a bit of a party-goer. In uh, both Matthew 11, verse 19, and Luke 7, uh, 34, Jesus was accused by people of being a drunk and a glutton. And the reason that he was accused of this was because of how many different gatherings and parties uh, and dinners he went to, but also the people who he was hanging out with at these different gatherings. Now, when I say that Jesus went to parties, you may get different ideas of what this looks like depending on your generation. Now on stage right now we have a whole heap of different settings of what different uh, meals or tables might look like. Thank you to, uh, to the lovely Les Schlenker who has done this for us. Can we give Les a round of applause? <clears throat> But for some of you, if you are going to a party or a gathering, you may picture going and getting some fish and chips or doing a sausage sizzle at a park. This might be your idea of what it looks like to have a gathering or a party with someone. I'm sorry, Les, for just ruining your lovely set that you've just made. For some of you, you may picture having tea or coffee with some friends and having a nice, quiet sit-down with other people. That might be your idea of a party. For some of you... Maybe of the younger generations, if you picture a party, you may picture uh, going dancing and having loud music with your friends, having a lot of uh, noise around you. But for Jesus, uh, in ancient times, uh, his parties as well would have different things that would be involved in them. There might be different tr uh, Jewish traditions that would be shared. There might have been singing, good conversation may have been had. There may have been talks or speeches that were included, but there were always two things that were consistent at every gathering that Jesus went to. Every single party that Jesus went to had two things. First one, good food. Second one, good wine. It wasn't good grape juice, it was good wine. Now, this fits right into Jesus', uh, Jesus um, way of doing things. 
I mean, you look at some of the most prominent miracles that Jesus uh, accomplished throughout his ministry. He provided food for thousands of people from fish and bread, and he kept the party going by turning water into wine. Now, Jesus, he met with people in their homes, he had these gatherings, and he taught people about the kingdom of God through the table. But there was a turning point in Jesus' ministry um, where things began to shift uh, a little bit. He continued to teach through and around the table, but people's reception of Jesus began to change. Even the people who had previously welcomed Jesus into their home and had gatherings with Jesus, their perception of Jesus began to change because Jesus' message became more and more offensive to some people who were listening. Now, most of Jesus' ministry was done around a region called Galilee, which is surrounding the Sea of Galilee, and uh, about two-thirds of Jesus' ministry was actually done in a very, very small area. But Jesus eventually moved his ministry from this area of Galilee to Jerusalem, and in the space of one week, the popularity that he had experienced in Galilee reached the point where Jesus was eventually crucified with only three people still standing uh, by his side. Now, between uh, Matthew 21 and Matthew 27, uh, 27, Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God, particularly regarding his own second coming, meant that people didn't love the party-goer Jesus anymore. And it's right in the middle of this, of this one week between Matthew 21 and Matthew 27, it's in, this, uh, in the middle of this one week where we find our passage for this morning. Now, today's passage, it's not set around the table, and yet Jesus is teaching important principles about hospitality that affects every single one of us who says that we are a follower of Jesus. And so today we're going to be looking at Matthew 25, uh, 31 to 46. So if you have a Bible uh, turned there, it's also going to be on the screen. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the angels will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. 
I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away to eternal punishments, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, this passage is not sitting here on its own. This comes after a whole heap of teaching that Jesus has already done about his second coming. But I would say what we have just read is one of the most confusing of all of Jesus' teaching about his second coming. What is he talking about? What does Jesus mean through everything that he, uh, that he has just spoken about? I mean, there's sheep and goats and clothes and prison and a king and strangers. There's all these different characters and all these different themes going on, uh, supposedly, throughout this passage. And as we look through this, it seems fairly complex what Jesus is saying. Now, there are two primary themes that we see through what Jesus is just talking about through his teaching here. The first theme is what will it be like when Jesus comes again? The first theme of Jesus' teaching here um, is actually the more straightforward of the two themes that Jesus is presenting here. Firstly, when Jesus comes again, it's fairly uh, put in plain language here, there will be a judgment day where there will be all people who will be judged on what their standing with God is. Those who belong to Jesus, the sheep, will enter into eternal paradise with Jesus and those who don't belong to Jesus will enter into eternal punishment. This is a clear reference of what Jesus is talking about here throughout the gospel about him being the good shepherd. Again and again, Jesus refers to himself as a shepherd. And so those sheep, those who know his voice, who can hear from Jesus, those who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they will enter into eternal paradise with him. He cares for his sheep, and it's his sheep who belong to him. But those who don't belong to the shepherd, the goats, are removed from him at the end of all things when he comes again. Now, when we are reading through this, this sounds very hellfire and brimstone, what we have just, uh, just read together, but this is the teaching of Jesus. This is something that he taught clearly, and it's part of the reason that Jesus was moving from popularity to rejection in this week when he came to Jerusalem and just before his crucifixion. Now, for those of you who might be watching us online or even here in person in the service, if you don't belong to Jesus... If you haven't accepted him as your Lord and Saviour, what Jesus says here about separating people from eternal paradise and eternal punishment, eternal punishment, it doesn't need to be your future reality. Jesus invites everyone to come into relationship 
with him. Every single person is given the opportunity of spending eternity with him. And it's Jesus' desire that none should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. And you are able to experience that today by grace through faith in Jesus. So that's the first theme that Jesus is speaking about here. He's speaking about what eternity is going to look like when Jesus comes again. But there's also a second theme, which is probably the primary theme of what Jesus is speaking about here. And it's really the point of what Jesus is saying, which is how does what we do now impact this future reality? So for all of us today, there are things that we do, there's a standing that we have before God that impacts this future reality. And what's the question uh, that Jesus is answering here? And this is the question that seems far more difficult to answer because at first glance, it almost seems like Jesus is saying to invite every person into your home, welcome them in, feed them and give them everything that you have. It almost sounds like Jesus is saying that everyone should have the attitude of what's mine is yours and if you have this attitude then you will enter into eternal paradise and if not you will enter into um, eternal punishments. Now this sounds uh, semi-wonderful, having the attitude of what's mine is yours. And there have been many people, many faithful Christians I've met, who have had this attitude in their life. One young guy I got to spend a lot of time with uh, at a previous church, um, we had gone to McDonald's together, and this young guy, he had the gift of evangelism. And when we went to McDonald's, um, the cashier asked this young, uh, said to this young guy, I really like your watch. This was a very expensive watch that this young guy was wearing. And at that moment, this young guy took it straight off and offered it over to the cashier who was taking his order right then in McDonald's. But he did it on one condition. He offered him his, his watch um, on the condition that he would be able to share Jesus with him after the guy's shift was over. This was a very generous thing that this young guy was, uh, was doing. On, an, on another occasion, um, after church one day, uh, at, a, at a previous church, uh, my wife Sarah was speaking to, uh, to a lady, and this lady was wearing... Uh, what was apparently some very nice shoes. And my wife, Sarah, commented on these shoes and said, these are really nice, I really like what you're, uh, what you're wearing. And as soon as Sarah said this, this lady took off her very expensive shoes and offered them to Sarah. Sarah was essentially forced to take these shoes and then this lady walked around for the rest of the day with no shoes on. So there are these people around who are these what's mine is yours kinds of people. And I love the heart of, uh, of these kinds of people. But the longer I go in life, I find that this principle of what's mine is yours is not really scalable. So for example, if one of you come to me today and you say, Dave, I really like your RAV4. I'm not giving you my RAV4. <laughs> if you come to me and you say, I really like your house, Dave. 
There will be significant issues in my marriage if I choose to give you my house in that moment. There's a Christian leader in, uh, here in Brisbane City who has uh, built a reputation for himself and he invites uh, regularly at least 10 people to be part of his household. He's taken people in from all different walks of life and he's done this even while he had uh, young children. He's developed a, a bit of a reputation for himself for being someone who is uh, radically generous towards other people. Now, I really admire this. I really do. But I do find it difficult to comprehend that Jesus is saying here, if you do not do this, if you don't show that sort of what's mine is yours attitude, then you are going to go to eternal punishment. If so, then this passage is, and Jesus' teaching here, is inconsistent with all the rest of the New Testament. It's a salvation then by works, not by grace through faith, which is a primary uh, understanding of what it means for Christians to know Jesus. So what is Jesus talking about here for those of us uh, who are followers of Christ and what does, uh, how does this affect our current reality? The key verse here that helps us understand what Jesus is talking about is in verse 40. Because it says, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus is speaking about his brothers and sisters. So what Jesus is essentially saying here is he is saying that welcoming the messengers of Jesus welcoming the carriers of the gospel is the same as welcoming Jesus himself. So his brothers and sisters are his disciples, his followers. This is not everybody, this is not every suffering person. And this is consistent with many other passages that we see throughout the New Testament. Galatians 6 verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. In James 2, 15 to 17, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So Jesus is speaking about his brothers and sisters, and that's what we see throughout the rest of the, uh, the New Testament as well. Jesus is saying, if you welcome messengers of the gospel, if you are someone who, you, uh, that makes you a welcomer of the gospel itself. If you reject messengers of the gospel, you reject the gospel itself. And that's why this teaching is said to be of such eternal significance from Jesus. He is calling people to receive messages, therefore receive the message of saving work of the gospel. Now, does this mean, by extension, that believers, sorry, that unbelievers should not get any of the attention of followers of Jesus? Of course not. Jesus said elsewhere in Luke 6, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. 
And if you do good for those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. So we are called to love, welcome, and show hospitality to everyone, but particularly those who belong to Jesus, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, is that then simply welcoming other Christians and being good and nice to them? I don't think so. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have made this such a prominent issue in his teaching here. The key distinction that Jesus makes here is that when you provide for other believers, when you welcome them, when you care for them, when you look after them, view it as though you are doing this for Jesus himself. It is Jesus who is waiting at the table and who is across from you. View this person as Jesus. Now, I need a, uh, a volunteer for what I'm about to do. You don't have to do anything. You just have to sit there. Can I ask for a volunteer, please? Oh, all the hands shoot up at once. And because he had a squinty face, I'm going to invite up. Oh, there we go. Miranda, come on up. Now, if I am to invite Miranda over for a meal and provide for her, Jesus' teaching here about the table is that I will not simply view her or provide for her as I might provide for any other person, but because she is a follower of Jesus, my role is to welcome her and care for her and nurture her in how I would Jesus himself. Now, Jesus was constantly inviting people to remember him as they gathered around the table together. And when you choose to show hospitality towards someone else, he's not wanting you to simply see the person who is across the table from you. Although we love one another, he's wanting you to see Jesus himself. When we treat people across from us as we treat Jesus himself, suddenly our attitude changes. We don't do the minimum required for the other person. We go above and beyond what we're required to do to bless the other person. This is what Jesus is calling us to do. This is the radical nature of Jesus' teaching about being at the table with someone else. We remember Jesus by viewing those that we serve as Jesus. But we also remember Jesus in every meal that we take around the table. Thank you, Miranda. That was all that she had to do. Very, very simple. Are these edible, Les? Oh, okay. I was going to give her a, uh, a treat as a reward. <laughs> I'm glad that you told me that. <laughs> Don't want food poisoning at the front of the church today. So we remember Jesus by viewing those that we serve as Jesus, but we also remember Jesus in every single meal that we take around the table. It seems to me that through Jesus' ministry, it was his real desire that every single time people came together, believers came together and spent time with one another, they would remember Jesus. 
through his teaching here that we've seen in, the, uh, in this part of Matthew, that's clear through his teaching. But it was also clear in Jesus' teaching when he told people to take the communion meal together. Shannon, do you want to come up and just start playing, please, mate? There are two different ways that communion was experienced throughout the New Testament. It was clear throughout Jesus, uh, throughout um, the early church, that communion was something special that believers did together as they uh, remembered the body of Jesus that was broken and the blood of Jesus that was poured out. And yet Jesus also told his disciples to do this every single time that they met together. He told them to remember his death and his resurrection. He told them to remember Jesus. When Jesus called his disciples to take and eat, remembering his body broken for them and his blood poured out for them, it was supposed to be a regular ceremony that they would take part in with one another. They were supposed to remember both Jesus' presence with them, both Jesus' presence across from them in the people that we come in, uh, that we are meeting with, but we are also to remember his death and resurrection, which was done to save us. And so this morning, we have the opportunity to remember Jesus and what he's done for us. And when you go home, you can remember Jesus who is waiting at the table, who is indwelling the people who, uh, who maybe you have across from the table from you. But in this moment that we spend right now together, we remember Jesus' death and resurrection. We remember his body broken for us and his blood poured out for us on the cross. So I invite you just right now to uh, maybe open up the elements. I don't want you to, to take them just yet. We're going to do this in just a moment as a sign of our unity in Jesus. And we will remember our King Jesus together. As we take the bread together, this little wafer, we remember Jesus' body that was broken for us. Let's take this together. As we take the juice, we remember his blood that was poured out for all of us for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink this together. So Jesus, as we remember you through this communion meal, as we remember your body that was broken for us and your blood poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins, we thank you for what you have done for every single one of us. We thank you for coming to this earth and providing salvation for us. 
But Jesus, we don't want to remember you just here in this moment as we gather together. We want to remember you in in every single gathering that we have with others. And so we do ask that as we meet with others, as we welcome others into our homes, even as we spend some community after this, uh, with one another after this service, would you help us to see other people as Jesus? Would you help us to have such a love for other people that it would be like we are loving Jesus himself? Would you make us a church who provides for others, who gives to others, who um, cares for others well? Help us to be a church that really does respond to the great commandments of loving God with all of our heart, soul and mind and strength and loving one another as well. So use us all for this purpose in Jesus' name. Amen.